Hey guys, uh, welcome to our very first best of episode. This one is from 2015 and my guest was Tiffany Haddish and it is one of the listener favorites. Uh, it's amazing how her career has taken off since she recorded this in, uh, in 2015. Um, have decided to to do a best of episode this week for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, I'm tired. I haven't had a <laughs> a break from doing this podcast in eight years, and uh, I think maybe putting a best of is uh, is a good idea because I don't want to get burnt out because I love doing this show and I want to keep doing it. So I'm just taking a little bit of a, of a mental break. I will be back next week with a new episode. And the other thing I wanted to mention is starting uh, Monday, May 21st, which, which is a couple of days from now, the full archive, actually any episode older than one year um, of Mental Illness Happy Hour episodes will be found exclusively on Stitcher Premium. Uh, you can download the app for iOS or Android or visit their website at stitcherpremium.com and sign up. And your membership includes access to uh, our shows, the full catalog of shows older than one year. Uh, all the ads have been taken out of them. And there's also hundreds of hours of uh, original Stitcher shows, uh, exclusive bonus episodes, stand-up comedy albums, and more. It's it's a really great deal for $4.99 a month. And if you use the offer code MENTAL when you sign up on the web, you get 30 days for free. So it uh, it's a good deal for you, and it really helps support this show because I'm having to look at other revenue streams to to keep the show going. And uh, this is one of the decisions I had to make. As much as I would love to have every episode available for free, I also have to support myself doing this show. So that's where I am. And um, enjoy this this episode with Tiffany Haddish. And listening back to it, I was just beginning the downward spiral of Abilify. And boy, I had no idea what the next two months held in store for me. Suicidal ideation, total insomnia, anxiety through the roof. And uh, thankfully, I mean, I got off it after probably within days of recording this episode in 2015. But the effects of the withdrawal from it lasted months. And I found out a lot of other people have experienced this too. And I was only on it for like two, three weeks. So... Um, and I want to uh, give a shout out to betterhelp.com. It's online counseling. It's awesome. I've been using it for two years. I love my therapist. I tell her everything. She gives me great perspectives on things and she's super compassionate. And, um, yes, I hear such great experiences from people who have gone there and tried it. So what are you waiting for? Go to betterhelp.com slash mental, complete a questionnaire, and they'll match you up with a betterhelp.com counselor, and you can experience a free week of counseling to see if online counseling is right for you. You need to be 18 years of age, and there's all types of good stuff about it, and uh, you can see it on the on the website, but it's um, they're really pushing pushing the envelope of uh, what modern therapy looks like, and I'm a big fan. So betterhelp.com slash mental, and make sure to include the slash mental part because then they know you came from this here podcast. And speaking of this here podcast, here's this here episode 
with Tiffany Haddish from 2015. Welcome to episode 213 with my guest Tiffany Haddish. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. Honesty about all the battles in our heads. From medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas and sexual dysfunction, to everyday compulsive neck Everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. It's not a doctor's office. I'm not a therapist. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. Uh, the Twitter handle you can follow me at is mentalpod, and mentalpod.com is also uh, our website. So go there, check it out, fill out a survey, see how other people fill them out, join the forum, support the show. Uh, make a donation, buy a coffee mug, buy a t-shirt, go fuck yourself. Choose any of the above, all of the above. In fact, you do all of the above, that is a full day. You will need to rest. And I suggest you wait until fucking yourself. Do that last. Always do that last. Maybe even have a cigarette after you're done fucking yourself. Maybe have a cigarette while you're fucking yourself. Have I overused that phrase? Maybe I have. Anyway, medical update. I am thinking I need to go off the Abilify. Um, I loved it for the first month I was on it, and it it has turned on me like a chihuahua. It is baring its teeth. I'm finding it really hard to maintain conversations. I'm finding... Whatever room I'm in, I feel like I need to be in another room. And I'm also searching kind of deep inside going, is this a spiritual thing? Am I just being too into self? Am I not being of service? Am I um, being a narcissist and just getting that empty feeling that comes from only thinking about myself? But I don't think I don't think I am, I say, staring at a 12 by 12 foot portrait of myself. Um, I don't have that. Uh <sighs> There, there's just this this restless feeling that is, uh, it, frankly, it's intolerable. And so I'm either going to reduce, I've already started reducing what I'm doing. And I'll let you know how it goes, but that is med roulette, man. It is, I, I tell you, when I'm on the right med and it's working, and I've had some that worked for stretches of months or years where it was great, but uh, these last couple of years has just been a, a bit of a, uh, a bit of a crapshoot. So that's kind of where I'm at. And if I see seem a little spaced out or having trouble forming sentences, um, blame it on the blame it on the Abilify. My my tongue feels like it's. Um, I think this is one of the side effects too. Muscle weakness is also one of the side effects. You can also um, it can give you diabetes. That's that's the wonderful world that we live in. Is those are your options for overcoming depression. Take something that might give you diabetes. All right. I want to read you a couple of struggles in a uh, sentence. Oh, actually, you know what I wanted to read, too, was... Um, oh, did I throw that out? No. Our, our guest last week was uh, Dean Tripp, who is a comic book artist, and um, we talked a lot about superheroes. And I did a little research and find out there's a lot of superheroes that are lesser known Um that I had no idea they existed. There's a, a superhero called Aqua Rinse, and he has x-ray vision, and he can see into an unopened dishwasher and let you know if the dishes are clean or dirty, which I think is pretty, that's pretty powerful. I think that would make a great movie. It obviously have to take place in the back of a restaurant, but um, you, you screenwriters get on that. There's a, there's a superhero called The Pretender, 
and he's able to sneak up on criminals by hiding out in Chrissy Hines' bangs. <laughs> For any of you over 40, enjoy that joke. And then there's Barista Boy, whose superpower is he can keep villains from fleeing crime scenes by uh, putting them to sleep, describing his coffee house's unique extraction process. I think that'd make a good movie. Maybe he could also tie people to a chair with his uh, his handlebar mustache. Let's read some surveys. This is a struggle in a sentence survey, and this was filled out by Louisa. And about her depression, she writes, like I'm missing layers of skin, too sensitive and exposed and fucking hideous. This is filled out by a guy who calls himself ugly but honest. And this is a snapshot from his life. And he lives with depression. He writes, most of the times I do go out, I'm with family, and it usually starts out okay. I'm telling jokes, stories, laughing, everything's normal and right. Then it reaches a certain point. It's hard to describe, but it feels like I suddenly realize I'm in Paris and I don't speak French. For the rest of the conversation, I have no idea what people are saying or what any of it means. I smile when everyone else does, and I laugh when they do, but all the social interactions suddenly become so alien. Thank you for that. This is filled out by Fruitsy Collins, and he writes about his depression. Uh, he has a chronic recurrent dysthymia, and he, write, he writes, like having to have an argument before deciding if it's okay to do or think anything. Boy, do I relate to that one. I really relate to that one. And then this one filled out by a guy who calls himself taking up space about his anxiety. He writes, I wish conversation could come with a backspace key. My God, somebody does what I've been doing. There's shame. You have boundary issues. I feel guilty for hating my mom. I will be high by 4 p.m. You feel helpless. I will be in hell by 4.15. Prison was not easy, but I deserved it. I think I'm just addicted to lying. I rubbed my body in mud and I laid in the swamp. Didn't move for six hours. I looked forward to and dreaded each meal at the same time. I think I desperately, desperately wanted to talk about it, but I didn't know how to start the conversation. And that's when I, I called the suicide hotline. A good Craigslist experience is if you are alive at the end of it. So, <laughs> so that is when I first felt love. Like I first felt reaching out to the people and sharing with the other people. Um, this intimate connection where people do stuff for each other without wanting something in return. Yeah, I just, I surrender. I think I was 28 and that was the first time I ever experienced that and it was amazing. I'm here with Tiffany Haddish who was uh, recommended to me by a listener and they never steer me wrong. They said they heard you on, would it have been Dan Harmon? No, who's? Probably Neil Brennan's. Neil Brennan's Yeah, podcast. the champs. Yeah. Yeah. And they said, you have to get her on. And so I contacted you, and uh, we made it work. So here we go. Here we are. Yeah, thank yeah. you for... Uh, I'm just going to move your mic back just a tad. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, so here we are. You, uh, you're a stand-up comedian, and uh, I was reading some of your background on your Wiki- Wikipedia page. It sounds oh. like you, you had a pretty tumultuous uh, childhood. It was very eventful. It's a little movie. It's a lifetime movie, my childhood. Where do, where do we start? You're, I don't know. You I, are Ethiopian Jewish? Yes. And Eritrean? Yeah, my father's actually Eritrean, but when he came to America, they, it was all Ethiopia at that time. Oh, so. Okay. Yeah. So do you have a joke in your act about being uh, Ethiopian Jewish? Um, I mean, I mean, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
I don't remember it, it at this oh, okay. moment. But I know something. I say something like when I'm when I'm full, my stomach is flat. When I'm hungry, my stomach is all poked out. Like you know, I got cousins that are flies. We double dutch <laughs> together. I don't know. I was going to say my parents pushed me to go into tribal law. <laughs> uh, so where where is a good place to start? There's so many things that moments that I read uh, that are in your Wikipedia page where I was like, oh, I can't wait to, to talk about that. That's going to be <laughs> fruitful. Well, what do you want to talk about? What are your earliest memories? My earliest memories? Yeah. When I was like three? Uh, getting a typewriter from my dad, a play school typewriter that made all kind of noise and stuff. Was there anything better than getting a toy when you were a kid that just you felt like you were an adult? Yeah, I don't know if I felt like I was an adult, but I definitely felt like I could help the household. Now that I can type, I can help Seriously. everybody. That's how I thought. I thought that if now that I can type, I, I can help everyone. But I can't type for shit. Today, Still. <laughs> can't type. Well, did you Still ever just take banging on keys? Did you ever take a typing class or you? One? I took three of them. Really? Yes, you still got can't a type. C in every one. I you took, are a fuck up yeah, of the highest I'm not, magnitude. My fingers aren't that fast. Yeah, I'm a horrible masturbator as well. <laughs> so, how can you be a horrible masturbator? How? Uh, how? Uh, let's move on. You get tired. Your hands get tired, and then you say, "You know what? I'm gonna break out the tools." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that's one of my earliest memories. Him giving me a, a toy. Um, him and my mom fighting and uh, blood rushing down the middle of her forehead is another memory that I have. How, uh, old, how old were you when that I happened? Was, I was about three. I remember sitting on the couch screaming, trying to pull out my hair to make him stop fighting her. And, wow. and uh, when I asked him about it, like we reunited probably probably about what now seven eight years ago now, and I was like. Was this imaginary? This is something I made up in my mind, or did this really happen? Was my mama wearing one of those jumpsuits from out of like the? It was like out of that same jumpsuit that old girl was wearing in. Is it Scarface? He's like, yeah. say hello to my little friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that um, what that blonde chick? She was wearing this sexy jumpsuit, and my mama had on a sexy jumpsuit like that, but it was red and white, and. And I remember her hair being big and fluffy and them fighting and arguing and then him headbutting her and then her punching him and then her on the floor and me screaming. And I asked him if that was, is that real or am I imagining that? And he said, oh yeah, that's real. But her jumpsuit was all white. And then (laughs) it was red. No. Yeah. And I said, why were you guys fighting? He said that he was fighting her because she had stole like $200 out his wallet. And he know it was in there when he got to the house because he put it in there in front of her. And then in the morning, it was gone. And it was only me and her in the house. And he's like, did you steal the money? I was like, no. (laughs) He's like, well, then that's why. And um, yeah. So he split at some point? Yeah, he split. He split like maybe shortly thereafter. I I remember he took me. I remember he took me somewhere. He used to take me places with him. And I remember him smoking cigarettes. And that's probably why I kind of like it. I hate the smell of cigarettes, but then I like it at the same time. Weird, but whatever. We get a lot of that on this show. Yeah. And um, he would uh, take me places with him. I remember we went to Bob's Big Boy and he let me play on the Big Boy statue. Burbank or the one one? in Culver City used to be one in Culver City. And and, uh, he used to take me there and used to let me play on the Big Boy. And 
I remember that. And then he disappeared uh, when I was like four, almost four. He was gone. And he tells me now that he took off because he was selling green cards illegally. And my mama was threatening to, um, you know, tell on him or whatever. And and uh, so he bounced. What do you what do you think as you as you think back to that little kid um, that all of a sudden didn't have a dad? It, it sounds like it was at such an early age that for most of your life you, you were just like, this is how it is. Well, no, I just thought he went to Africa to visit his family and he'd be coming back. He'd be back some. What would your mom some. say when you would say, when's dad coming? Well, where's my dad at? And she'd be like, I don't know. Probably visiting his family. I don't know. You ain't got no daddy. Don't worry about it. I didn't have a daddy. You don't have a daddy. Don't worry about it. I'll find you one. And then she met my stepdad. And how was he? He looked like I'll be sure. And uh, she was so into that. And uh, <laughs> he's like tall and skinny and light skinned and and um, I guess he was good looking for the times. It was the eighties, you know. And <laughs> what, what uh, was the bar low in the eighties? I don't know. Not my type, but that you know that's what she liked. So whatever. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to sleep with him. Please so don't tell me he had a Jerry curl. No, but he had that good hair that naturally curled up, so it oh, looked like yeah, it was a Jerry curl. But he didn't have one. But um, they were together. They hooked up. He worked at the post office where she worked and stuff, and they hooked up, and um, they started making babies real fast. I hated that shit. I hated, like, I didn't like him. And I remember her telling me, uh, this your dad now. I'm, they got, they just went to a courthouse and got married. And uh, she's like, this your dad now. I'm like, he not my daddy. That's not, because I still remember my dad. I was like five at the time. I'm like, he's not my daddy. That's not my dad. She said, he your daddy now, and you call him daddy. I was like, no, I'm going to call him Othello. That's his name. <laughs> Othello. <laughs> and uh, she's like, no, you going to call him daddy? I said, nope, he's Othello. And she slapped the shit out of me. And I was like, daddy? <laughs> like, you're my dad now. And so, yeah. And uh, yeah, a lot of kids. How old were you when she married him? You said five. I was five. I was five when they got married. And Did you have any kids, any siblings no, before then so no, you, you were an only me and kid her. it was just me and her oh that must have that was just rocked your world in a horrible way yeah yeah it was i mean i wouldn't i didn't mind having no brothers and sisters because i kind of wanted some but i have my cousins you know so i would always play with them or whatever but when she had my little sister i was all kind of so mad i tried to sit on her i tried to knock her off the bed i tried, <laughs> tried to kill that little bitch for at least the first year um but she didn't die she lived and we good friends now mm-hmm. uh, it's my sister <laughs> ride mm-hmm. or die together but um yeah i mean they were married for probably four years and my mom she already owned property before she got with my stepdad and then I guess some stuff, some suspicious things started to occur, like people at her job was saying they was uh, pregnant with his babies and some chick that claimed that he said was his cousin. Turns out she wasn't his cousin. He married to her now. Um, so he fooled around a lot. Oh, yeah. There was a couple of kids. And so it well, seemed like, like I'll be sure. Why wouldn't it? Yeah. Right. So um, my mom had bought two houses. By the time she had my brother after my sister and he was like moving us, like start moving us out of L.A. area. So he moved us to Pomona. Then she found out about some other chick and um, 
And uh, that was at her job, that same job that they had. She was because my mom was like the manager of the post office or whatever. And so she found out about one of the, her employees supposed to be messing around with him and all this stuff. Then he moved us even further away and got her pregnant again. Right. And so then she had my baby sister and then we was living in Colton and uh, she was driving out to um, Marina Del Rey like every night to work. She was working a graveyard shift and uh, she would take us with her and drop us off at my grandma's house and then pick us up in the morning, which I hated because it didn't make any sense. Like, why are you making us trudge across the city because you working like that in my mind that I hated it. And I'm like, why can't he be here with us? You know, and he wouldn't come home. I don't know why. Because he's busy fucking his cousin. I guess so. <laughs> cousin fucker. Yeah. And so um, <laughs> then, then uh, one day I just I was like eight and a half. I just didn't like it anymore. I just couldn't take it. I was just like, look, mom, I know how to change diapers. I know how to make bottles. I know how to make hot dogs, rice. All this. I know how to do a lot of things. Like, let me babysit. They're going to be asleep anyways. You, by the time you get back, everybody be getting up. It'll be time for me to go to school. You know, it should be cool. And she's like, okay. So she and she was running late. So she left. And you were nine. I was about eight and a half. Yeah, yeah. almost nine. And uh, she <laughs> she didn't come back. You know, she didn't come back and I wanted to go to school, couldn't go to school because I wasn't going to leave. I mean, my sister was probably about maybe six months at the time. So, um, yeah, and the little ones, everybody was little and uh, she didn't come back. Another day go by. Nobody comes. Another day goes by. I'm like, I'm calling my grandma. Like, have you seen my mama? Have you heard from my mama? She hasn't come home now. It's been two days. And my grandma's like, no, nah, I haven't heard from her or anything. And um, she calls. Uh, Why didn't your grandma come stay with you? Uh, my grandma didn't. I don't I don't know. My grandma ended up coming and getting. Okay. She came and got us um, once she found out where my mom was. It was she oh. was like calling all my mom's friends, called a the job. Then like she never showed up to work. You know, she's calling uh, this person, that person. She tries to get a hold of him. Can't get a hold of him. Calls his auntie. And this auntie's like, oh, she's been in the hospital for two days. Now she had a car accident. She's like, my baby had a what? She had a car accident. She's in Pomona in the hospital. So my grandma goes to the hospital. It turns out that uh, she goes there first before she comes to us. And uh turns out my mom uh, went through the windshield. Head went through the windshield. Um, the brakes was out on the car. You know, it was just all bad. And um, it took her three months. She had to learn how to walk, talk, eat. Everything she had amnesia. She had to learn who we were again, and that wow. was really hard. I remember when they let her out the hospital. The doctor's like, he sat me down and he's like, "Look, your mom will never be the same mom that you knew before. She's gonna be different. She, she won't be the same. She's okay, but she won't be the same. And like, she looked completely normal. I mean, the first day I saw her, when they finally they, they waited a month before they let us see her." And she looked like a monster. I mean, she looked messed up. And my stepdad, you know, he was, that time was really weird. I don't know. It was really weird. Because he didn't come back to the house until my grandma showed up. When my grandma showed up, then he came to the house. He didn't come back till it was unnecessary for him to be there. Well, apparently, he thought that we all, well, he didn't know where we were. He wasn't sure where we were, I think. And we were all supposed to be in the car. And we was all supposed to be dead. Mm. So, but I wanted to babysit. So we lived.
we all lived. Cause yeah, because otherwise you would have died, huh? Probably, because we didn't wear seatbelts back then. It was the 80s. Um, <laughs> I didn't wear no seatbelt. My seatbelt was my mama's arm coming across that thing, hitting me in the chest. Ah! <laughs> like, that karate chop to the throat. That was the seatbelt. The other thing that I read in the Wikipedia is that your mom developed schizophrenia yeah and the doctor said she'd never be the same he was not lying i mean she came back it was like while i was helping her with everything you know getting dressed all kind of stuff and she started to function on her own and and she had a really bad memory and then stuff started coming back to her and after like a year you think oh she's good she's normal but um i mean by the time i was 10 i was getting beat like every day she was hearing voices talking to herself becoming very violent um I, and you know why are the voices never nice why are the voices ever voices. always like it's always like you got to drown your kids or you're a piece of shit you need to die oh, her voice was uh they gonna rape you we raping all of y'all they come we coming from outer space she said the aliens was coming from outer space and they was coming to rape all of us and then she would be different people like <laughs> she would be different like you wake up one day and she's like glinda the good witch you know just the nicest most kindest most wonderful woman ever and then few hours or an hour or just you know few next minute she's fucking mike tyson trying to knock you out she's or she thinks she's vietnamese and she wants to do your nails you know like you never know who she was gonna be and what was that like it's scary but it's fun it's like it's funny because like now i noticed that i kind of surround myself with weird crazy people i mean um and that might be because of her i don't know maybe i became accustomed to it uh, I don't know. Do you feel uh, addicted or do you get uh, charged up by drama and, and chaos? Uh, no, I get I get really frustrated with drama. I'm so frustrated with then any why kind would, of drama. Then why would you want to be around people that are kind of... I, I, I'm like a magnet for them. I attract them. And, but they don't do the... Here goes the thing that's crazy. They don't do the drama to me, with me. Or in my presence, oh, but they telling me about the oh, drama. So you get to they live vicariously pour through it, it on me. They pour the drama on me, and then I have to wash it off. You know, like I kill. I think I don't know if I'm a. I don't know. I don't think I'm a therapist, but they show like to tell me what's going on with them, and then I'm like, I make it fun. You know, I make it funny. I be like, oh well, look, that's a blessing that he knocked you out, girl. <laughs> now you know to get away from him. That's a, that's a. A perfect a, sign to leave. It happened, and now you now you yeah, you know I, that it's not meant to be. Right. So I don't know. I don't know. It it made me a it made me a good person. At the end of the day, and I can fight anybody. If anybody try to fight me, I I'm not afraid to fight. You want to go right now? If you want to, you want to get your ass beat in this little office. <laughs> why, why do you Why do you gotta insult my office? It is a tiny office. It's it okay. Is. At least it you is. got one. It it comfortably fits a pair of shoes, though. It's yeah. snug. Yeah, it's, it's nice. A, think of us as you're a shoe and I'm a shoe. Well, Isn't in Japan, it? this is a luxury apartment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I could take you. you I think, think so? I could take you. But then again, you might have that that mean streak in you where. You do something that's just completely, you know, a fingernail right in the eye socket. You no, know, do you I don't fight even, dirty? I have long fingernails. No, you I don't fight, fight dirty, dirty but oh. I do rip at genitalias. Uh, then I'm not sure I want to go. Yeah. I'm not sure I want to go. I mean, I breaks all the rules. <laughs> I breaks all the rules, but I'm always clean. I always wash my body, so I never fight dirty. 
But I learned how to crazy fight. That's what my mom, I have to give her that. Like, she might have been messed up or whatever and mean and kind of evil towards me and would say some of the meanest things, things you should never say to a child. Like what? Uh, you ugly like your daddy. You ain't going to never be shit like your ugly ass daddy. Uh and other things that I've tried to forget. And I think I have forgot. I put it past me, so I don't really try was to hold Was this on to after it. her mental illness mm-hmm. came out? Would mm-hmm. she say mean things to you like that before her mental illness no, came I out? No, I don't really remember her saying too many mean things before. But after her, after her accident, I mean, she became so nasty. And she would say stuff like, uh, no haddishes allowed, only Englishes. I only love Englishes. I hate haddishes. Haddishes are violent. You know, because she used to fight my, my dad, so... And uh, she would separate me from me from my brothers and sisters. She'd be like, all the Haddishes go wash the dishes and the Englishes come in here with me. And my mom was like an excellent storyteller, like one of the best storytellers you'll ever meet. And she would. And that's that was the thing I loved about her, like sitting around and listening to her stories. Who who were the, the Englishes? My brothers and sisters. Oh, OK. Because their dad is English. I got you. So <clears throat> we were segregated. I see. Yeah. Yeah, I dealt with segregation in the home. <laughs> Did you have to drink, <laughs> drink from a separate water fountain? <laughs> no, but I didn't get to have no Kool-Aid. I only got to drink orange juice. <laughs> Seriously? No. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but we, um, I mean, she was a great storyteller. So she would love to tell stories to us. Uh, but I guess, if, like, she just... I don't know. So I feel like a lot of times I reminded her a lot of herself or who she was before. I look a lot like her and I'm just lighter. I'm just a lighter shade of her. And I feel like a lot of times that bothered her. It's like, you know, she never could get that back. She never can get back that business oriented. I mean, she had two, three businesses by the time she was 30, you know, not only was she working at the post office, but she had like demo deluxe going. So she was doing like demos in grocery stores and on the weekends and we would help. And she was doing all kind of stuff. Like she had real estate and she lost all her real estate and everything. She lost everything. Like, and it got really, it got really scary. It was very scary. And at a certain point, um, child services came in and put you into foster care. Yeah. Can you yeah. talk about that? Yeah. So um, <clears throat> my brother. I assume it was because your your mom wasn't able to care for you. No, and- she was not. She was. I was the mom. I was taking care of everybody. I mean, she, she was telling me about herself. Like, I'm 10 years old, 11 years old. She's talking about her sex life, how she needed, you know, when, by the time I was 11. Yeah. Because she's talking about she need to have sex with her husband. I need my husband. Like, and she started talking about how, because they started hooking up. And she was like fucking them in a van and shit. And she was telling me all about this stuff. Like, because she didn't have no friends anymore. Like, that's the thing with mental, like, a lot of mental illness. Like, they stop having friends. Like, and, and mm-hmm. so then, because people are like, I ain't dealing with that crazy shit. Like, she talking weird. I ain't fucking with her. But then, if there's somebody who's, like friends are falling off and they got kids. Now we're trapped with this crazy bitch. Like we're trapped in this. And I feel like more like I was the protector ever since the doctor told me, you know, you're going to have to look out for your mom. She's never going to be the same. You're going to have to take care of her. You're going to have to look out for her. I became the protector of everybody. You know, I'm and taking how many care of kids? all these kids. It ended up being five of us total. Uh, she got pregnant again. <clears throat> she got pregnant when I was 11. Uh, by my stepdad and I'm just going to move your mic a little bit yeah 
she got pregnant by him and um, had my baby brother who was like the apple of my eye who I just love to death and um, I wish he was like sometimes I wish he was my son but he called me mama for the first like two three years of his life wow you know and I'd be like I'm not your mama I'm Tiffany I'm Tiffany say Tiffany say Tiffany say Tiffany by mama mama no Tiffany mama (laughs) say Tiffany mama and It was super hard because it would be embarrassing. You know, I'm carrying my brother with me to the grocery store. We going down to the liquor store to get some milk or whatever. And he'd be like, mama, mama. Like, and everybody looking at me like, this girl looks like she's 10. Like, I looked really young at 11. I look really young. That must have been embarrassing. 12, 13. Super embarrassing. And then, um, because I used to carry him in that little bit, that slingshot thing, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I really liked it. I like that part, taking care of my sisters and brothers. I like that part. I didn't like why I was doing it, though. And uh, my my other brother, he was getting in trouble in school. Like, I used to make breakfast. Like, I had to catch the bus at 5.45 in the morning. So I wake up at 4, make breakfast, make a breakfast, you know. And then um, I would lay their clothes out the night before, and I'd go to school. Get on the school bus, go to school. Um, and I would assume they were going to school. You know, but <laughs> they were not. <laughs> well, my sisters, my sister was, but my brother, he, my mom just let him do what he wanted to do. He's the king of the house. He the man of the house. My mama used to say, like he's fucking seven, like he's six. He said, like he's the man of the house. You let him alone. If you want to go to school today, he he don't have to if he don't want to. And um, and so he wasn't going to like he would go to school once a month. And they come to school in pissy clothes, like wears dirty clothes, not wear nothing I laid out. So that's how child services got involved. And tell the school, the teacher, I'm hungry. My mama don't feed me. Don't nobody at the house feed me. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Even though we had lunch tickets and all that stuff, you know, he was just being greedy and just being a fucking dick face. I mean, I got a lot of whippings because of him. He used to get me in so much fucking trouble. And I wouldn't even do nothing. He got suspended from school one time. And my mama bought him a Sega Genesis. That same day, I came home with my report card, and I had, I think, uh, B's and C's, and I got the dog shit beat out of me. Wow. And I'm like, okay, this don't make no fucking sense. Like, it didn't make sense to me. She must have felt so much guilt around all the stuff that she was putting on you. I don't know. And just projecting it on you or something. I mean, I, I, can't, no idea. I can't wrap my head around how somebody... How you could be doing that much for her and still be getting the shit beat out of you. That's know. the only thing that I, I, could I think imagine of. now that it was frustration, like complete frustration, like not knowing how to associate. Like, I mean, mind you, she did go through a windshield head first. So I'm thinking if, now that I'm older and when I think back about it, she didn't know how to express herself. She didn't know how to be loving. She didn't. It was like difficult for her to understand things. We would say stuff to her, and I'd be like, "Dang, am I talking like Spanish or something? Like, why doesn't she understand what I'm saying? Like, she's not even listening to reason. Like, nobody could reason with her. Not nobody in the family could reason with her. It was like, you know, just these delusional craziness it don't make no sense and she know it don't make no it's like she knew it didn't make any sense and it made her mad like you could see in her eyes she was frustrated like i know this is it's i'm kind of right but i know i'm not right but i'm fucking i'm going through with this i'm following through with this like because i don't know how to say or how to do like I remember one day she was sounds like to, she was trapped. Yeah, and it's she's still trapped. She's still she's in a mental institution right now, 
And, you know, I, I, it's gotten to the point where, you know, I'll take her, I used to take her out for a day or two and like spend time with her to get her hair done, all this stuff. But by the end, of, by the end of the visit, she's trying to fight me. She's trying to beat me up. I'm like, you know, all my life, only person I really ever had to fucking fight is my mama. <laughs> like, that don't make no sense. Why do I have to fight this bitch? Like, I don't know. And I don't want to fight her. I want to love her. I want to love up on her. I want to hug her. I want I want to bury my face in her armpit like when I was little and fall asleep in her arms. Like, but that I don't think that could ever, that'll probably never happen. It'll probably never happen again, you know, because she don't like me. I know she loved me. I can see in her eyes. I know she loved me, but she don't like me. And it might not even be her. She probably, I don't know. Sometimes I think schizophrenia and all that shit is like, maybe she demonized. Maybe when she her head went through the windshield, it cracked it a little and a demon got in there. And it can't get, they sold her head closed and it sold the demon in. And, you know, you come up with all these things when you're a kid to try to justify and make right your parents', parents mistakes or inability to love you the way that you you think you should be loving. Maybe the way that I think I should be loved is not the way. Maybe the way she loved me is the way I was supposed to be loved. And that's the way, that's why I am the way I am today. And I'm able to bring joy to so many people and I'm able to take care of so many people. And, and, uh, and I definitely know what love is. Um, but you missed I out. Know. I might have missed out, but maybe, uh, maybe I didn't. Made maybe I got it from other places. Yeah. Maybe I already was born with it, and maybe I was put here just to teach her something to sh- to reflect. Yeah, I never her. thought about that. You know, like, I mean, every, I feel like every baby is loving. Every baby comes in this world with a whole lot of love in their heart. I mean, they snuggle up to you right away. Like, the, everybody's born with love. Nobody doesn't have love. You were born with that. And shit. the ones and you that crave it and want to give it. Like, the ones that aren't, you leave in the restaurant. Yes. You put them, them r- you put them right on top of the tray stacker <laughs> and you slink out. Yes. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm, Where were we going know, with that? Well, as you're as you're sharing all these things with me, um it's a it's a little overwhelming to to hear all of these things. It's it's like a um I don't have words for it. For for me, being outside of your experience, hearing you share it mm-hmm. as an objective person, mm-hmm. I'm like, that is horrifying. That's so fucked up. But I know from having come from a fucked up family mm-hmm. and had things done to me that other people are like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I can't imagine what that's like. Mm-hmm. I can't feel them because they were my normal. Mm-hmm. And I understand that's probably the same thing with you. Yeah. But it breaks my heart to to hear about what a little adult you had to be. Yeah. And that you didn't, you didn't really get a childhood. I mean, glimpses, pieces. Can you share any? pieces of my childhood do you remember any where you just got to be free and be a kid where you had some moments with your mom or or your dad or stepdad that were awesome i mean moments that were awesome and we went to thousand trails what's that me it's a it's a it's a camper park it's a park uh, where people have like RVs and stuff, and we had a Wattweiler 
And my baby brother, uh, Lance, the one that used to get me in trouble all the time, he had just been born. And we got in this black car. He had a black, my stepdad had a black car. And we got in that thing and we rode to, I don't know where, Thousand Trails. I remember the sign Thousand Trails. And it was like the coolest. We camped out. We we had a fire. We walked in the woods. I thought it was a werewolf. I was so <laughs> scared and excited. And I remember uh, we all slept together. Like we all cuddled up together like little puppies. <laughs> that was, it's I love that. I love that. Like, I don't know. I used to say, I used to think like I would one day have kids. Like, I don't think, I don't know. Everybody say I should have kids. Like, you would be a great mom. But I don't want to really have them because... I, I, I don't want to fuck nobody up. Uh, I much rather, I got a lot of friends that got kids and I love on them and take them places and show them things. And when they get on my nerves, I just drop them back off. That's how I feel. And I don't, I don't hit them or accidentally choke them out like did, my mama did me. <laughs> but I used to. Did you well, tap out when your mom would choke you? <laughs> no, I tried to scratch her face off. Uh, <laughs> I was dying. I thought I was going to die. So there was no tapping out. There was look her in her eyes and scratch her face and maybe I mean, she'll come out of it. I, that I mean, let's just let that soak in for a second. What? That you think that your mom is killing you and you had to scratch her eyes out. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine what that's like. Mm-hmm. She used to say all the time, I brought you in, I take you out. I brought you in, I take you out. So you think for real, like, it's programmed in your head. She'll kill me. So you fight for your life if you want it. Were you able to sleep soundly? No. I mean, if I washed the dishes, if I cleaned everything, if I knew it, like, if I cleaned, then I knew I, I'd be all right. But if it wasn't my t- turn for chores, like my sister, she had chores and stuff. If she didn't do her chores, if everybody didn't do their chores and I fell asleep, well, I'm, I'm going to get beat. And I would get beat out of my sleep uh, at least once a week because I would be not making sure everybody did their stuff. If I didn't make sure everybody did their chores. Do you have mm. um, nightmares? Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What are they like? Uh, they're like little movies. They're. Can uh, you describe? They're movies. They're. I don't know. They're freaking weird. I don't know. Like I have one. Like there's no like where I'm getting. Well, there's this one where I get beat a lot in it, but I don't feel nothing, and I'm just laughing at everybody. Like they're trying to beat me, and I'm just laughing. And uh, does Angela Bassett play you? No, no, no. It's me playing me, and. Hmm. Uh, uh, <laughs> in a role you were born to play. <laughs> uh, my mama. I like how I had mama. a woman who's old enough to be your mom playing you. I know, right? It's so insulting. Right? It's cool. Yeah. It's okay. It's just she plays everybody in a biopic. Well, I know with black women, we don't age. So we'll just go with that. All right. And, and movie magic. All right. I'm not upset that you, you said that. I, I mean, could have said Cicely Tyson. You could have said Holly Berry. I could have. That would have been even better. I would have still said no. Right. She's still older than me, but she could play my auntie okay. or something. But anyways, it'd be me playing me. Okay. And in the dream, it's, uh, you know, different various family members attacking me. And uh, and then it's my mom beating the crap out of me, telling me it's 
it's my fault that she done lost all her kids and stuff. But it's not my fault. It's really her fault. I mean, she... Is that clear in the dream that it's not your fault? Or do you believe her in your dream? I keep saying it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. But, I mean, I have all kind of crazy dreams. Like, I just recently had a dream that my ex-husband, um, and I keep having this dream, like, every other week. It's been going on for, like, two months. My ex-husband is a shark with braces that I keep in a tank <laughs> in my living room of my mansion. I have a huge shark tank in the living room of my mansion, and he lives in the tank. And he has braces and trying to get his life together. And then the tank breaks and I wake and he constantly in the dream, he constantly breaks the tank and he's just trying to get in the bed with me. And I oh like I'm in the God. bed in the dream and I wake up and it's a shark next to me and he's smiling with braces and trying to throw his fin over me. And then I wake up every time. That shit scared mm-hmm. the fuck out of me. That scares the fuck out of me. Yeah. Was he violent towards you? Yes. It was a. It was a very, he's the only dude that's ever, like the only man that's ever been violent towards me. Um, And uh, we divorced and stuff uh, because I was, I recognized I can't fix this, you know, and I'm just. How long were you married? For like five years. And, um, and I was like, yes, no, this, it'll probably happen again. And I left him and I went back to him thinking, okay, he's been going to counseling. I've been going to counseling. Like maybe this could work. Maybe we just, you know, and, um. And then I realized I didn't like the motherfucker no more. <laughs> you know, I was like, I just don't like you. And I didn't trust him. And I had that same fear that I had of my mother in him. And I don't, I don't want to fear nobody like that. I don't want to live in that. That, like, I don't know who I'm waking up to today. Are you finna beat me today? Are you gonna choke me today? Are you gonna hug me and love on me today? Like, I don't want to live in that. I want to know that this person's gonna love on me. And if I make a mistake or something, say, hey, you made a mistake. Not cool. But I'm not going to get punched or choke or thrown into a floor because I made a mistake. Do you feel like therapy helped you recognize that? I feel like therapy helped me organize my thoughts and organize and prioritize my life and figure out what's more important. Like, am I important or are these people more important? And if these people are more important than me, you know, how can I be of service to them if I don't take care of me? If I'm not happy within me? If I'm not and you learn cooling that in my therapy. skin? I learned that in therapy and just, yeah, meditation and stuff. I mean, the therapist just helped me to learn, to figure out, just gave me a lot of questions. So I asked me all these questions, which I was like, why am I paying you money to ask me questions? <laughs> that don't make no fucking sense to me. Like, I didn't like that part. Like, get the fuck out of here with all these damn questions. But it, those questions provoke thoughts. And those thoughts give me to prioritize. It made me start thinking, okay, I need to organize what is important to me. What do I really want? Like, yeah, I want the people around me to be happy. But what does it matter if I'm not happy? All right. Did they, did they, did your therapist said that you were codependent? My therapist said that I had, uh, 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 I don't, th- no, I don't remember them saying anything about codependency, but I know they said that I had a battered wife syndrome and probably had it since I was a little girl. And, uh, cause I was definitely like, I protected my mom. I tried to protect her. You know, even though she was beating me up, she's still my mama. Most people do with their abusers, especially when it's a caretaker. You know, the thing that I've heard explained 
is the reason why you do that is because that keeps the truth at bay that you're in the care of somebody who's not safe. Right. Because that's more frightening than yeah. the idea that you might deserve right. the beating. Right. Which is never the case. Well, but. I don't know. Sometimes people deserve beatings. Like when my brother burned my sister's face, burned a hole in her face, I beat the shit out of him, tried to kill him. I didn't yeah. kill him, though. No. How old were you? I was uh, probably 15, maybe 14. No, I was no, I probably was 16. Probably, yeah, 15 or 16. And he burned a whole, She they was uh, drinking cocoa, hot cocoa. You know how you mm -hmm. make cocoa on the stove or whatever, in the pot. And she made him some and gave it to him and didn't tell him it was hot. And just, and he was like, let me have, let me have some off your spoon. And so she gave him some off her spoon and burned his tongue. So he decides, well, you don't burn me like that. I'm going to fuck you up. So he gets a spoon, puts it on the stove. And just burns her face with it, puts it up against her cheek. And she the same color as you, like little light bright girl, big old hole in her face, big burn mark on the side of her face. When I saw her skin bubbling up and she came in, scream, she was screaming, I'm running there and she's screaming and it's all these bubbles all on her skin, you know, and it's all red and it starts peeling. And I was like, what the happened? What happened? And she's touching it, it's peeling. It's, I'm like, stop touching it. What happened? And she like, Lance, he burned me, he burned me, he burned me. And found him. He was hiding outside in the back. Went out there, snatched and dragged him in the house, and commenced to whooping that ass, just like my mama used to whoop my ass. <laughs> Cause that's all I knew. Like, and I'm like, you don't burn girls, you don't burn girls. And I remember choking him, and my my other sister trying to pull me off of him, and then um, my baby brother running and grabbing my grandma, like Tiffany about to kill him, Tiffany <laughs> about to kill him. And uh, my grandma getting me, and we had. We had just got out of foster care. We just got out of foster care. And um, the social worker came over and she was like, look, what do you want to do to my grandma? You know, what do you want to do? And she's like, I can take one of them out. Which one do you want to take it out? Yeah, mind you, he had already been breaking doors, busting windows, kicking holes in walls, stealing money. Like he was doing all kind of stuff. So really, he needed to go shoot. And uh, the social worker was like, I suggest, you know, you said Tiffany's very, w was very violent with him. I suggest you send Tiffany. Maybe she needs some one-on-one. -on -one. And my grandma's like, no, Tiffany don't need no one-on-one. -on -one. She helped me with these kids. Take him. He need one-on-one. -on -one. He's busting this, doing that, doing this. It's stressing me out. You take him. And he was standing right there. We was both standing right there. You could see in his eyes that crushed his whole world. Like it crushed him. It crushed him. And I looked at him and I just started laughing in his face. <laughs> like, cause I got beat so many times because of him when we were with our mom. You know, so many punishments I suffered, busted lips, lost baby teeth and all kind of stuff because of the lies he would tell on me. And so I was happy he was going to a foster home. But at the same, like he was going, he was take, being taken from us. Because we had just all came out of different foster homes. We had only been there for a year. And it's like, now they're putting it, you know, they took him out. So he got a, a home. He had a mom and a dad. And they treated him really good. And I used to come over there on the weekends to catch the bus to go see him. Because I'm still responsible for you. Even though I don't like you that much anymore. I'm still responsible. I still love you and I'm still responsible for you. So I go on the weekends to where he was, catch the bus all the way over there. And he would not come to see me. The lady would be like, oh, baby, he don't want to see you. Uh, he not here right now. But I see him in the window. Like, I see him sitting there playing Nintendo. I see you playing the game. I don't want to talk to you. Like, it was back. It's all my fault. You know? 
Um, but whatever. And you were a kid. What was your experience in foster care like? I mean... It was okay. I mean... Whoa, it was on. okay. <laughs> hold on. Those two things didn't fit together. It was okay. I mean, I moved around a lot. Um, why the why that long exhale? Because it's like I don't want to necessarily remember it. You know, you don't want to. You don't want to wallow in that shit. We don't. It we was, don't have to go there. If it you was don't shitty. Talk about it was. It was in like nobody. Like, I mean, it wasn't that bad. Not as bad as some of my friends or some of the people that I've, I mean, I've developed lifetime relationships with certain people coming out of that that system, that program, and um, it's like yeah, I don't want to wallow in it, man. It's it sucked. We moved. I moved. I remember the day we dropped my sisters off and my brothers off. That was like the most painful day I can't, ever. Can't imagine. You know, I'm and I, and I'm I needed to know where they were going to be because I was going to catch the bus to wherever they were so I could check on them because that's my job. My job is to take care of them. My job is, I feel like that's my. It's a hard job and um, I kind of quit recently. But <laughs> mm. If they called me, if they needed something, you know. I, I'm going to complain like a motherfucker, but they're going to get it, you know, because that's my job. The doctor gave me this job. I have to take care of them. But it, it make you tired. And um, I mean, foster care was it was OK. I learned a lot. I learned how to clean. I learned how to cook things. I learned how to shut the fuck up. I learned how to I learned that for a long time. I felt like I had no value because when you move they I didn't have a suitcase. You know, I I never realized how important a suitcase was. How just having a, a like putting your clothes in a trash bag and going to the next place and make you feel like garbage. All those clothes are garbage. You know, your favorite little mementos or whatever. You're garbage. They're garbage, and you're just garbage moving from one person's house to the next person's house and you just hope they don't throw you out like garbage and but they do they do like then you get to grandma and it's like okay this is what i wanted i always wanted to live with my grandmother and that was cool i mean she's the most wonderful person in the whole wide world she she made me so strong and and helped me to believe in myself i remember uh, there was some like father daughter thing at school or whatever, and uh, well, I didn't have no dad to come up there, but uh, it was it was like open house around open house time and some something was going. On. I can't remember grandma, exactly. And your grandma put on a mustache and came. Nah, my grandma didn't put on no mustache and come. I was a school mascot, so I was like, you know, dressed up as a mascot, and I'm seeing all these girls with their dads, and then some of them were with their moms, and then they were like happy. And then I was doing bar mitzvahs. <laughs> I was doing these bar mitzvahs. I was as, an energy as a producer. Mascot? No, no, as as an energy producer. I'm an energy mm. producer. That's my that's what I really do in life. I produce energy. And uh, Is this as an adult or back when you were when a kid? I was like 15. I started when I was 16 doing bar mitzvahs. I did them for like 11 years. I did over like 500 bar mitzvahs. Doing being an energy producer? Yeah, I did comedy. I would dance. I would get the kids to do activities, like, get, or get all the just, adults on the Just floor. to rev everybody up and get the excitement Produce going. Produce energy, baby. Get the party started. Do you do warm-up 
for sitcoms because you would be custom made for oh doing man it. i would be so good at it i've only done one show and it wasn't a sitcom show it was like a talk show or whatever and that's it I, I would like to. I've been trying to tell my agent I want to get into that. They like, should get you into that because that is a specific skill, and people yeah. that can do it work a ton. Yeah, a you got to be like a cheerleader, right? Absolutely. You get the people going. I'm really good at that. That's my one of my gifts, and I was doing that for a long time. And um, you know, you would see the father daughter dance or the mother son dance, oh. and it's like they play this music, and it is the most. You want to fucking rip your face off <laughs> you know, just rip their eyes out and like I would like cry on the inside or sometimes if I was on my period I had to just go outside and I would fucking cry cause it like be feeling jealous or whatever I guess I don't know if it's jealousy or like I want that or why didn't I get that and I remember I came home one day and um, I was like 17 uh, or 16 I was 16 I was 17 and I was just like in this like funk and I was just mad and I just tore up my closet, ripped everything out of my closet. I don't know why. Just like, oh, I don't want none of this shit. I don't want it. Like, I was just ripping the clothes out the closet. And grandma was like, what's wrong with you? I was like, I don't want none of this stuff. I don't want it. It's not worth nothing. I'm not worth nothing. Nothing's worth anything. Like, I'm garbage. Like, I, I, don't, I belong to a judge. I don't even belong to you. I don't belong to, like, I just felt like. Like that was stanky, you. Stanky screaming like garbage. And. My grandma like just grabbed me and looked me in the eye. She said, baby, you are not garbage. You are a national treasure. The state of California is paying me so much money to keep you alive. They're paying me to keep you alive for a reason. You're a treasure. There's a, there is a social worker comes to check to make sure you are being properly cared for. You are not garbage. You are valuable. You're a treasure. And that kind of just like, boom, that kind of stuck with me. And it's man, beautiful. Your grandmother man, sounds like a really she's the beautiful. Shit. She is so awesome. <laughs> My grandma is awesome. She probably saved, single-handedly saved your psyche from shattering. <sighs> she saved a lot of us. She saved that whole, like, she's the same. She got the same thing, like, rescue, try to take care of everybody. Like, and I take it she's your mom's mom? Yeah. And it, I, I could tell it crushed her not being able to, you know, do for her daughter, like fix her daughter. Mm. That like I could tell that messed her up. Like, and she had already lost another daughter, lost a son, and she's like a hoarder now. Like, and I'm always like, Grandma, you buying all this stuff? You got all this stuff in the house because you're hoarding emotions. Like you're buying, like you buying all it, buying all this stuff. Like let's just cry, let's just scream, let's go shoot guns, let's go mm. bust something up. She's like, Baby, I ain't got time for that. About time for all that that negative energy. I'm gonna just go shopping. I'm just go buy what I want, so y'all don't have nothing to fight over. But this stuff that I buy. But grandma, we can't even walk through the house. Like you gotta be skinny to visit you, right? <laughs> Stay healthy. <laughs> like <laughs> you can't be a fat person trying to visit my grandma because it's like she has aisles and stuff. Like you have to be skinny to get around the house. It's sad. That part is sad too, because I know she's just sad from like losing her. She's lost her babies. You know, and I've, I don't know. I'm, I'm always afraid, like, am I going to be a hoarder? Am I going to be like that? I do want a family, but not really. I would love to be that little group of literal puppies, mommy, puppy, mommy, dog, daddy, dog, and our babies. And we're all curled up together, sleep in the camper. I would love that. But then what comes with all that? Mm -hmm. You know, can I handle that part? The kid wrecking the car. Right. The 
all the other shit. All the other shit. And it's a lot of shit. I don't know if I'm strong enough to handle that. I don't know if if I I just don't know. So why I'm just have dogs and um, tell jokes, make people laugh, and I got God babies galore, and I'm gonna do that. One of the things I read was that they gave you a, a choice when you were a, a teenager, either go to psychiatric counseling or go to a comedy camp. Yeah. And you chose the comedy I camp. I chose the comedy Talk camp. Talk about that. Yeah, I was getting in trouble in school for talking too much and just being, I was just trying to figure out a way to fit in. I was just trying to figure out how to fit in and how to make friends. And I had saw that movie, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there was a scene in the movie where the detective says, why is everybody doing all this stuff for you, Roger? And he goes, because I make them laugh, Eddie. If you make them laugh, people will do anything for you. So that was my key to success. Like, I'm going to make people laugh. People going to do things for me. I mean, shit, I couldn't even fucking read, man. I had people, I had a great memory, though. I would have people read to me or I ask questions about something, and I would remember that shit like, boom. Sometimes make you look really stupid when people lie to you, but then you know who not to fuck with anymore. <laughs> but, um, it, yeah, I was getting in trouble. I had these imaginary friends I made up. Uh, and how old were you at this point? I was like, I was 14, 15. Mm-hmm. 15 I was 15 and I had these imaginary friends that I made up um, because nobody was like really paying attention to me in school and so I was like people about to start paying attention to me and so I don't know why I did this but I made a I had a bird I called the bird cracker and I would talk to the bird and I went to a predominantly white school and uh, cracker Hills. was imaginary Cracker was imaginary. It's imaginary bird. And I would talk to Cracker. I'd be like, Cracker, you want a poly? What's the answer number seven, Cracker? Like when we taking tests and stuff. And then I would get sent to the dean's office for being racist or whatever. <laughs> and, and I would be like, oh, man, I was, I don't know. I was a weirdo. And the dean would call my social worker. The social worker would come up to the school, get mad that she had to come all the way out there. So I'm going to put you in the school in the South Central. I'm going to put you in the school in L.A. No, don't, I ain't going to go. I'm going to keep coming here. I'm going to keep coming here just like I did in the beginning. Because, like, when we first went into foster care, the first foster home she put me in, I mean, I still wanted to go to school because I felt like that was my safe place. That's a place where I could be like crazy, weird, whatever. And people would just laugh and be like, ah, you know, nobody's going to beat me there. That's how I felt like nobody's going to try to take anything from me or make me do anything I don't want to do. And so, um, man. So this one day (laughs) when we like I was in that foster home for maybe three days and it was Monday time to go to school. And I took my ass to school. I got up at four and caught the M- the the R- it was an RTD at the time. Caught the RTD the bus all the way to Woodland Hills. And um, where'd you go, El Camino? I went to uh, Hell Middle School in El Camino Real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, yeah, in Hell, we driving out there, riding the bus out there on the. It would take like three or four hours on public transportation. Oh, my God. And I would go to school. And so then the police start coming up there for me because the foster mom said I would AWOL, that I um, I was running away. like, But I would come back at 7 o'clock at night because I would catch the MTA, the RTD, all the way back. And uh, kept calling the police on me and stuff. And then... Um, and then they finally said, okay, you can go to this school. Because I wasn't even supposed to be at the school. They, I was supposed to go to some school off of like 100 and something in Normandy or somewhere. And then by the time I got in high school, you know, 
don't know. I just I was really kind of cutting up, and she was like, "You got two choices. You you can either go to Laugh Factory Comedy Camp, or you can go to psychiatric therapy because something's wrong with you." And I and I had I've been winning drama festivals. I had been winning like in the monologues and stuff. So I was like, "Shit." I go to the, you know, I go to the comedy camp. I, well, I asked her which one is, has drugs because I knew my mom had to take drugs going to psychiatric therapy. And I had a cousin that was taking drugs for psychiatric therapy. Hmm. So I was like, am I going to have, like, which one has drugs? She's like, oh, you're going to be on drugs if you go to therapy. You're going to be on drugs. And I was like, well, then I'll go to the comedy camp. And that changed my whole entire view about myself, about life, about People, men, everything changed. It changed a lot. Taught me communication skills, gave me confidence. How did it change your view of men? It was the first time like men were like kind to me and I didn't think they were going to try to rape me or try to do something to me or want something from me or take, you know, just or try to hurt somebody around me. You know, like I would be on stage. It's the first time a man told me I was pretty and I didn't feel grossed out, Mm. you know, or disgusted. Like, like he gonna do something because I had you know you be in these foster homes you hear all these different stories and then maybe something might happen you know like it's just it's a little creepy men are kind of you like oh he look good but oh I don't know like I don't know if he's gonna hurt me or not that must be terrifying yeah or unsettling at unsettling the very, unsettling at it's the uncomfortable very least. it's it's probably how white women feel around black people at the moment I don't know it's <laughs> <laughs> terrible I don't know. <laughs> When they go to an event and they're like, "Why am I the only white person here?" They probably feel it probably feels that way. <laughs> However, that feels. It must be tire- tiring. Yeah. So that's a, like <clears throat> I try to counteract that with, you know, positivity. Be positive in my thoughts, but also let people know that I see the shit. Like I, I can, I recognize bullshit real fast, um, and I just decide when I'm gonna be like, oh, "Get that out of my like, get away from me," or. Whatever, just you know, that's sounds like you don't have any problems standing up for yourself. Nah, nah. That's a great tool. Yeah, a great or quality to have. I think a lot of people envy that. I envy envy that in other people. Really, being able to stand up for yourself. Oh God, when you don't have it, it's the the world weighs so much on you. Yeah, because you if you don't have boundaries and you don't know how to enforce them then you're going outside your front door is terrifying because you don't know everybody else's needs can just invade you. Mm, I know that feeling. Yeah. I know that feeling. Maybe I should have kicked my brother's ass when I was, but he was older than me. So that, and you I was, know what's funny about that? I used to whoop that ass back in the day, and now they are all bigger than me. All of them are like six feet plus, bigger than me. My sister has a black belt in Muay Thai. My brother's like security at, at Chevron. There's like big security stuff, whatever. Like everybody has good jobs, and they're all strong and all do things that are kind of physical, <laughs> and they all still scared of me. Like I roll up on them, they be like, hey, why, why, why? Like, <laughs> I still got the power because I'm only like five six, maybe 150 pounds. But you're confident. That's that goes a long way. Really? Oh yeah. Your your eye contact is, um, yeah. You just have a way a, a directness about you. Well, yeah, because I'm reading your spirit. I'm a unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I'm the last black unicorn. 
I like to say. Unicorns destroy negativity. You know, it's really hard. I feel like, I feel like personally, it's hard for people to be negative around me. They try, but it like, it always like fucks up. Like it just, you can't be mean. Like you can be mean, but it's really hard. It's difficult Mm -hmm. to do that around me, I feel like. You know what I heard somebody say one time is the only thing that you need around uh, darkness is light. Mm -hmm. Darkness can't survive light. Mm-mm. But it hangs like, out in the shadows, though. Yeah. <laughs> we'll try to find a shadow. But I don't know. I think because unicorns are so magical and wonderful and people try to take them off. I don't know. I think they really existed at one point in time because there's a lot of animals out here that got horns. And what animals with horns, what do they do? They fuck you up. You try to bring that bullshit. <laughs> and that's what I do. I keep it all good, but I fuck up that negativity. Period. Unicorn power. What would you say to a teenage girl listening to this episode who had or is living through some of the stuff that you lived through? A teenage girl. Let's say it. Let's say a teenage girl, because I get emails from teenage girls who are. Why are you getting emails from teenage girls? What's really going on? I'm just laying. (laughs) No, go ahead. Finish the same who are stuck in abusive homes, Mm -hmm. but they don't want to tell on a parent because they don't want a parent to go to jail. Um, Maybe they're gay and they can't come out or they're, they're getting hit, but they don't want to get child services involved because they don't want to see their little brother or their little sister have to go into foster care being separated. And they don't, they don't know what to do. What, what, I'm not asking for you to give them a solution, but um, I guess I'm asking you to give them some type of strength or comfort or well, positive, something they can they can hold on to. I'm going to say this. Um, Again, I don't know I, if this is something you can hold on to, but I'm going to tell you this. Being in the system, it sucks, right? But here, here goes the upside to it. There's a lot of programs and stuff that can help you. In that you don't have to be in the system for long. And maybe your parents are the way they are, like beating you and being mean or nasty to you or doing whatever to you because they don't know what else to do. They don't have no tools. So maybe they need tools. So maybe calling Department of Children's Services and getting them involved could be of service to you. It might behoove you to do so because maybe maybe you guys might get taken out of there. Maybe you might get put in some weird situations and. and but here's a here goes a benefit, which I wish I would have known when I was younger, but I didn't know till way too late. But they they got transitional housing programs. They teach you how to get jobs. They got job training. They got uh, all kind of grants and scholarships that you don't have to pay back to go to college. They'll pay for you an apartment. They will get you books. They will get you a suitcase. Everybody should have a suitcase. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's anyways, and and you should just know. But, it, but it's made out of plastic bags. No, no. Once you go to college, like once you graduate from high school, they'll get you a suitcase. They'll get you a suit, and they give you money for your diplomas, and and it's and they help you get a car and all kind of stuff. It's all kind of great stuff, and you just gotta hope you get a good social worker hope you get it like if that's the case but if you're trying to just you don't want to tell you don't want to be you know you just want to sit through that shit or then i say find something that you love find something that you love that doesn't hurt anybody that won't hurt you i found comedy i love teeth 
I love to hear people go, ha, 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 ha. I love to see laughs, hear laughs. Maybe I should have been a dentist because I love teeth so much, but I don't want to hurt nobody. I just want to bring joy to people. So that's what I found. I found a job where I produce energy and I danced and I had a great, I got a lot of frustration off and, and I still had to go home to a lot of shit. I mean, even though I was living with my grandma, um, it was a lot of shit still. My mama knew where I lived. I had to fight her every Sunday, damn near, you know, but I got, I became very strong because of that. They can't no bitch see me in a fight. Not that I'm calling anybody out, but thank you for teaching me how to fight. I know how to protect myself now, you know, and it's like you going through this shit right now, whatever you going through, you gay, your mama beating you, somebody touching you, whatever you going through, be, and I, it's going to sound fucked up to say, but be thankful that you are able to go through it because some people die because some people can't even they can't even, they just kill themselves. They're so weak, they can't even, they just kill themselves. And you're not that weak. If you're able to take, if you're able to take any kind of abuse from anybody, you are strong. If they abuse you and you didn't die from that, you're strong. And you can be even stronger. So, if you need some rescuing, you got friends. I, I mean, I don't know, I don't know. Department of Children's Services rescuing me. But maybe you have a family member, a friend, somebody you could go to and ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask for help. That is like the number. Like, don't be afraid to say. And if the first one doesn't work out, keep asking, asking. for help. Because a lot of asking. times. And you don't have to try to fight or do stupid shit or cuss people out to ask for help. Like, shit, you can be kind and people will still help you. They will help you. Or just be funny and I'll do anything for you. <laughs> <laughs> Tiffany, thank you so much for coming and sharing, thank you. sharing your life with us. I really appreciate yeah. it. Okay, next time I come back here, don't be having me all in my childhood. Let's let's work from 20 on next time. Well, do you <laughs> want to talk about that? No, no, next time, next time. We'll you sure? See, yeah, next time. Okay. Many, many thanks to Tiffany. Yeah, my Abilify was uh, at like the hour mark. I was like, I think, I think I'm spent in uh and having a conversation so I, I hope it didn't appear that i wasn't interested in her because that's honestly one of my favorite episodes i was so moved by it but that restless fucking feeling um i'm assuming it's the it's the med no it's because i'm a horrible person it's a <laughs> i went to see my psychiatrist and he was like oh no that this is because the core of you is fucking rotten and slimy anyway um we should uh, we should have her back on and do a part two most definitely because I I really enjoyed talking to her. Um, before we take it out with a bunch of surveys, we have a lot of surveys. I'll probably give up halfway halfway in between and just get into the fetal position. But uh, I want to remind you if you would be if, oh the words if you feel so inclined to help support the show, you can go to our website, which is mentalpod.com and make a one-time pay I don't like my chances at reading these surveys. You can make a one-time PayPal donation or you can sign up and become a recurring monthly donor for as little as uh, five bucks a month. And it uh, doesn't seem like a lot, but it means the world to me and it definitely adds up and helps keep the show going. Fuck the rest of the messages. Let's get to the surveys. This is um, 
Oh, I wanted to read this one first because uh, I felt like um, it's kind of relatable to the interview with Tiffany. And this is a shame and secret survey filled out by a 16-year-old um, girl who calls herself Serene Serena, and she identifies as pansexual, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Um, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. When I was 9 or 10, my parents took me to a therapist. He was horrible. He didn't touch me, so I don't think it counts as abuse, but it was deeply traumatizing. Uh, well, it sounds like it was abusive, uh, just not necessarily sexually abusive, unless what he was saying was um, inappropriate, in which case I think that would... Oh, shut up, Paul, for the love of God. Shut your mouth. Shut your fucking mouth. Continuing. Been emotionally abused. My father has been mentally ill my whole life. He would do stuff like when I got sick, he would tell my mom that I was faking it. To this day, whenever I'm sick, I hide it from people with the fear that they will think I'm faking it. Whenever people use the word mom, I always want to know if they're from Australia or England uh, or related to Charles Dickens. Any positive experiences with your abusers? Both my parents, especially my father, treated me badly. I feel deep anger towards him, but I feel so guilty for being angry. I wish he would be easier to hate. Well, that's a profound sentence. I think a lot of us feel that way. Really, really feel that way. Darkest thoughts. The other night, my dad was yelling at my mom, sister, and me. I realized how fucked up everything had gotten, and I took comfort in the thought of turning the gas on while we all slept. I took solace solace, and the peace of death. I would never hurt them, but it made me feel peace for just a second. Like... uh that death would take away my father's anger and my mom's fear. Darkest secrets. As a very young child, I had a lot of sexually inappropriate behavior that I hid from everyone. I knew stuff that a four or five year old shouldn't know. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I wish I had someone to tell my whole story to, not just the shit I say now. I wish I could tell someone like a total stranger to help me to get out of my family situation. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish I could wake up with my memory wiped in the middle of New York City and escape. Oh, she is from Australia. And escape Australia. I wish I could forget everything that has happened and just leave. Have you shared these things with others? Throughout my entire life, I've been secretive and in my own head. When both your parents drink and, neg and neglect you, all you can do is talk to yourself. I still do talk to myself. People think I'm so weird. I had one friend when I was six years old who was fucked up like me and understood all the weird shit I do. How do you feel after writing this stuff down? I feel like I've told someone. Maybe no one will ever read this, but I hope someone does and gets a glimpse into my life. Well, we did, and thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, oh, and one more. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Just the feeling of being so fucked up that you feel like you can't function. It's like people become afraid of you because they had never, they have never had shit like that happen. Well, hang in there, Serena. Hang in there. And I hope you took comfort from, uh, I hope you heard our episode with Tiffany. This is Struggle in a Sentence filled out by a woman who calls herself Jazz Hands. 
and uh, she writes about her OCD. I obsess with time. Multiple alarm clocks, despite waking up the first ring, checking those alarms multiple times, setting clocks five minutes ahead, getting anxious when I don't know the general time, and worst of all, being late. Traffic was unusually bad that day, and I found myself dangerously close to being late. Five minutes left, but it would take at least that to find a parking spot. I kept checking the clock. With each passing minute, I felt like I was about to commit a mortal sin. It's fine, I repeated to myself. It's fine. The world is not ending. It's okay. It didn't make the feeling of dread go away, intensifying until I sobbed to myself the rest of the way. By the time I parked, I was officially two minutes late. I got out of the car, sprinted across campus, raced up the stairs, burst through the doors, and took a seat, doing my best to dry my eyes before anyone took notice. Not like it mattered. The professor was late anyways. Thank you for sharing that. This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by Nick and about his uh, depersonalization. He writes, I can completely switch off and remove my consciousness so that it's like I'm observing myself. This usually happens during flashbacks or difficult situations, but can happen anytime. Some people deal uh, with this as a chronic issue. However, uh, however, there's a lot of typos in this, so I'm a little confused. Some people deal with this as a chronic issue. However, mine is episodic. It's a, I fucking hate you, auto spell so much. You know how it read? Some people deal, warn this as a chronic issue. However, move is episodic. So I have to try to figure out just how stupid auto spell is. Uh, it's a constant struggle as I have no control over myself during an episode and have no memory of it afterwards. So often find myself needing to patch up arguments I have no memory of having. It must be really difficult. Hang in there. Hang in there, Nick. This is filled out by Jane, and it's a shame and secret survey. And Jane is in her 20s, straight, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, never been sexually abused, but she has been emotionally abused. And uh, she writes, when I was in the army, my commander screamed at me a lot. He assigned me a lot of extra duties uh, that he would assign uh, the other officer, that he would assign the other he assigned me a lot of extra duties oh, beyond what he would assign the other officers. He constantly pulled me into his office to tell me I was not good enough. I didn't belong in the unit and that I was too fat. Uh, and she puts in parentheses, I always met physical fitness standards, but I had to get tape measurements taken because I have large hips and breasts and I was over the quote standard weight for my height. He told me true officers make weight and don't have to be taped. It made me feel miserable, worthless, and inadequate. Well, you know, I bet this motherfucker was against women being in the army to begin with, and that was his whole deal and had nothing to do with you. Anyway, continuing. It contributed to a depressive episode while deployed in Iraq that made me contemplate suicide. I hate how mean he was to me, but more than that, I hate myself because I didn't live up to his expectations. I never confronted him or told anyone else. I felt so much pressure to be strong and stoic for the soldiers in my platoon, so I kept everything bottled up. I left the army two years ago and I still have bad dreams where he is yelling at me, and I wake up sad and ashamed that he still has so much control over my life. None of the rocket attacks or IEDs bothered me as much as my experiences with him. What an asshole. 
uh, any positive experiences with your abusers. I was an excellent marksman, and that was about the only positive thing he would say about me. He would brag to other infantry commanders that one of the best shots in the battalion was a female in the support company. At the end of the day, I don't think he hated me or was trying to be sadistic. I think all the screaming was his fucked up version of mentorship. Um, what are your darkest thoughts? I often wish that there will be a major car accident on the highway while I'm driving so that I can be the first on the scene, save people, and become a hero. I hate myself for selfishly wishing tragedy on other people to glorify myself. I also have a bad relationship with my dad. He divorced my mom while I was in college and cheated on her numerous times and left in a really ugly, destructive way. Now he has become nostalgic, glossed over the terrible things he did, and often tries to reconnect with me and restore our relationship to how it was when I was a child. I sometimes wish he would die, so I wouldn't be put in the awkward situation of having to pretend I still like him. I don't have the courage to just cut him out of my life. Darkest Secrets When I was deployed in in Iraq and at my deepest moment of depression, I almost committed suicide. I remember finding a quiet spot and loading my 9mm pistol and putting it to my temple. I sometimes have flashbacks and can vividly feel the cold metal pressed against my skin. I never pulled the trigger because I knew it would devastate my family and I had soldiers to take care of. I am scared that one day I will be that sad again and I won't hesitate. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Uh, I'm actually pretty bland sexually. I might be a borderline asexual person. Most of the time I just have sex because it makes my husband happy. I love him and I like being able to fill that need for him, but I could go without sex for the rest of my life and probably be just fine. I feel weird for not having sexual fantasies. I love kissing and cuddling, though. Uh, What, if anything, would you like to say to someone that you haven't been able to? I would like to tell that commander to go fuck himself. I think think we all would like to tell him to go fuck himself. Uh, What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish that I could love myself even one-tenth of the way my husband unconditionally loves me. Have you shared these things with others? Uh, This fall, things got so bad, I finally went and talked to somebody. About six weeks ago, I was officially diagnosed with PTSD and depression and started taking medication to help my sleep, anxiety, and sadness. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life to admit I needed help, but therapy and medication are already helping tremendously. I am just now seeing for the first time how terribly dark of a pit I was trapped in. How do you feel after writing these things down? A little bit better. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? For a long time, I refused to ask for help because my problems weren't as bad as other people's problems. I told myself, there's someone out there who has it worse than me, so I have no right to complain. It took me a long time to realize, although that is true, that doesn't make my shit unimportant, and that doesn't mean I'm not worth fixing. Your shit is important too, and you are worth the investment. That's the second time investment has come up in in describing. Uh, I love those moments of uh, synchronicity. Well, thank you so much for for sharing that, Jane. Really appreciate it. And so glad you're getting help, getting out of that pit. It's, It's amazing how we can be in that pit and not even realize it. Amazing. A little sip of tea. God, I love green tea. I love all kinds of tea. I love black tea. Not a fan of white tea. I look. I look at white tea like non-alcoholic beer. Like, what's the fucking point? I got a little angry about that. Don't get between me and my tea opinions. 
I will cut your fucking knees out. This is from the What Has Helped You survey. This is filled out by a, a woman who calls herself I Hate Your Face Care Bear. And her issues were uh, or are uh, complex PTSD from physical, mental, and sexual abuse, including being abducted by a man identifying himself as a youth pastor and being raped and choked by my ex-husband. Uh, and many more times where fucked up people used me as a punching bag or sex toy. And what helps her deal with them? Art, music, and video games. I paint, draw, airbrush, play piano, ukulele, guitar, sing, write songs, and love to shoot people in their stupid faces on Halo. Oh, I fucking love you. Love you. This is Struggle in a Sentence filled out by a uh, trans male who calls himself Jonestown. And uh, he writes, I need to take Xanax for my anxiety, but I'm anxious because I need to take a Xanax. Brilliant. Brilliant. This is the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a woman who I instantly like. Her name, Crazy Pants McGee. I'm already a fan. I'm already subscribing to her newsletter. She is straight, in her 20s, raised in a totally chaotic environment, was the victim of sexual abuse and reported it. She writes, my brother, four years older, molested me for about a year when I was 10. My family was very abusive and neglectful. The only time he was nice to me was when he molested me. Boy, I read that all the time, all the time. I feel such shame because I allowed it and I enjoyed someone being nice to me. I hate myself because my body responded, but I have such incredible levels of anxiety and panic around sex that I dread sexual feelings. I absolutely numbed out during it, which helps me to know it was damaging, but I still feel responsible, dirty, disgusting. I have a wonderful wonderful therapist, but I still feel completely broken and disgusting. She's been emotionally abused um, and physically abused. Uh, I've been physically abused by my stepfather. He beat my mother and brother regularly and hit me once. I feel lots of guilt that I didn't get hit more, uh, that my abuse wasn't bad enough. Emotionally, I've been used by pretty much everyone in my family. Mother was borderline personality disorder, so she was very emotionally volatile. Told me I should lose weight, try harder. Uh, be better pretty much constantly. Preferred my brother openly, even though he abused me. She actually punished me after she learned he had been molesting me. Wow. She actually punished me after she learned he had been molesting me. Wow. That's fucking unbelievable. My stepdad was a violent... Of course, it doesn't end there. My stepdad was a violent drunk with PTSD from Vietnam. Raged, yelled, hit, punished for no reason. I was scared to sleep in for years and always felt like I was responsible for others' feelings. He terrified me. My biological, my biological father uh, was around until 14. He actively encouraged me to have sex and do drugs. He was emotionally ne neglectful. May have been some of the most damaging, quote, parenting. I feel so much shame about having been promiscuous. Feel terrible and disgusting about his knowledge and encouragement of it. Feels very dirty and disgusting. Any positive experiences with your abusers? All of my abusers have been people I love. People who are supposed to protect and love me back. This makes it so hard to feel anger, feel validated. How can people who are supposed to love you hurt you like that? In my head, it must be my fault. There's something wrong with me, not them. I love them, so I must be that disgusting. 
boy, your your survey is so powerful and so relatable to those of us who have experienced um, the kind of abuse that you're talking about or some abuse that is a part of the all this stuff that you've experienced. Uh, darkest thoughts, leaving my husband. He is really wonderful and supportive. I want to self-destruct and walk away. I want to completely fuck up my life, do drugs, and have sex with men who don't care about me. I also think a lot about cutting my face. I see my mother and my brother uh, in it, and I find it hard to look at. I also think a lot about being raped. It's a terrible, disgusting fantasy. I know it comes from the sexual abuse and self-hatred, but I'm very ashamed of it. Uh, Darkest Secrets, uh, she writes C above. Um... Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Uh, rape fantasy. I can't watch vanilla porn. Only violent pornography. Makes me feel disgusted and broken like I'm a freak. You are not a freak. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I'd like to tell my mother, you hurt me so deeply. I needed you and you broke my heart over and over again. I wish you had protected me. It was not my fault. You were my parent. I wish I could say to my brother, you betrayed me. You took advantage of me. You broke me. You damaged me. I can never feel whole. I will always feel broken and disgusting. You deserve to feel what I feel. I hate you for taking my soul, making me feel so broken and disgusting. I wish I could have said these things because I want them to know how badly they hurt me and I want to move on. I don't speak to them anymore and never will because they are damaging. Right now, I wish I had said this because they hurt me so very deeply. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish for self-love. I wish that I could accept the kindness and positivity of others. I wish I could believe I am not a bad person. Have you shared these things with others? Some things with my therapist. She's wonderful and has helped me so much. It's incredibly painful and frightening. I've shared some of these things with a close friend who is also a victim of incest. She was also incredible, uh, incredibly supportive and loving. Um, how do you feel after writing these things down? I feel stupid, broken, and damaged. I feel like I'm making too much of my feelings, and I should not have shared so much. Wow, that couldn't be further from the truth. You have experienced so much, and you're not making too much of your feelings. You're feeling your feelings, and that's why this is so intense. It's so good you're talking about it. She writes, I feel like I talk too much, and I'm an idiot. At the same time, I feel a little relief. It feels like I'm trying to find support in more appropriate places, which makes me feel a little proud of myself. Good and terrible. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences, please go to therapy. Find a cognitive, a CBT, which stands for Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. Uh, find a CBT specialist who can help you with sexual trauma. It's incredibly hard to deal, uh, but a good therapist can help. Find someone who you connect with and feel safe with and be honest with them about how hard it feels. Um, yeah, and that's it. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. Crazy Pants McGee, sending you some love. This is a happy moment filled out by Chadwick. And he writes, I'm a codependent with moderate anxiety, abusive childhood, parents slash brother died when I was young a visible minority in a very white portion of Canada. I've always felt that I was the square peg and the world is full of round holes. My life has been built on achievements and performance of tasks. 
The expectations make me spiral out regularly. About a month ago, I was on a snowboarding trip with my girlfriend and her family. They've all participated since they were young. I've been maybe six times, but starting to get the hang of it. And the second day of the weekend, we come to a converging portion on the mountain. And as I noticed, about a 100 people were all coming together. I started to get anxious as to the possibility that I make a wrong move, fall down, and chaos would ensue. As I began to look around, I realized I wasn't going too slow. I wasn't at risk of slipping or making a bad cut. And that I looked no different in any way than any of the other dozens of people around me. They didn't take notice of me for what I am. They didn't yell or castigate. They didn't make shallow puns or require anything of me. It was the first time in my life that a feeling of normalcy and unconditional acceptance came over me. And if but for that brief moment, I knew what it was like to feel a part of the world. It was indescribable, and I wish that everyone could have that moment at least once. That's beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you for that, Chadwick. That sounds like something you'd say to your butler, doesn't it? Thank you for that, Chadwick. This is from the What Has Helped You survey, filled out by, a, I think I'm pronouncing this right, she calls herself Cranchel. Um, her issues, sexual abuse starting from a young age. I was groomed and coerced into having sex with a family friend when I was around six. Subsequently, I have a very active libido and was raped slash sexually abused as a teenager and young adult. My father was absent and I dealt with an emotionally unavailable mother who sometimes seemed to define herself to men by how loud she could be whilst having sex. Later, I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder, stress, and anxiety disorders. And what helps her deal with them? The second sexual assault pulled away my overactive sex drive. I began doing yoga and found that I was holding a lot of that trauma in my hips. I went on a yoga retreat recently, and while whilst we were doing hip openers in class, I began crying as that trauma was released. Everyone on the retreat was so amazing and encouraged me to release the emotions. Coming up from pigeon pose, the teacher winked at me and said, hip openers are sometimes called can openers for the emotions they bring up. I've been thinking about going and doing that because I feel like something is trapped in me. Maybe that's why I'm having so much trouble with the uh, meds. Maybe it's a just an emotional thing more than a chemical thing. Oh, Paul, you are boring yourself. This is struggle in a sentence filled out by a woman who calls herself Lady Squid. And... Um, about her anxiety. She writes, the perfectionism that made me delete this response several times to make sure I sound witty enough to compare to other surveys and the realization that I am fucking pathetic for even caring. Well, if it makes you feel better, I recorded three different introductions to this show before the one that I posted um, about her alcoholism and drug addiction, feeling a sick connection with the scrappy-looking men at the liquor store and giving them the nod when I leave with my liquid emotion suppressor every week. Uh, other compulsive behaviors, putting on makeup without fail every day so this dried-up husk that moves can have perfect skin, big blue eyes with thick lashes and smell like Gucci perfume to mask the total rot inside about experiencing sexual bias. She writes, fuck society for making me feel like I have to prove my sexuality is not a Katy Perry song just because I don't look like a, quote, dyke. About uh, mental handicap, 
she has dyscalculia. Um, The self-humiliation of being in remedial math classes during school when I was in advanced everything else and feeling like a fraud when I'm praised for my intelligence. About living with an abuser, I moved out two years ago, but when I told my mom I was going to therapy, she said, make sure they don't focus on all that family history bullshit. I agreed. She knew best, like the obedient little girl she raised me to be. Um, let's see. A snapshot from her life. Dad picking me up from middle school when my cutting was revealed during gym class and him saying absolutely nothing to me. Going to the psych ward and waiting to be seen by the doctor with my equally silent mother. Wow. Oh, and then this one, uh, overactive bladder and bedwetting in third grade, sitting in the school nurse's office in wet Lion King leggings, waiting for my mom to save me. Oh, those are heartbreaking. Those are heartbreaking. And, I mean, from what you described to your parents, it, um, who wouldn't, who wouldn't uh, have issues? Let's see. This is a shame and secret survey, and this is filled out by. Let's see, how many do we have left? I always bite off more than I can chew. Actually, read. Green tea. This is filled out by, uh, as I said, a woman who calls herself uh, Work in Progress. She is straight in her 20s. Raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Uh, Never been sexually abused, but she's been emotionally abused. Uh, Her father was just an asshole, just a complete fucking narcissist. I'll read some of it. Um, uh, Nothing I did was ever good enough. I was at the top of my class academically and played multiple sports in high school. If I had a bad game, my dad would rail on me all night, calling me embarrassing, horrible, etc., Meanwhile, on the outside, we looked like the perfect family and I was the perfect child. My most memorable experience happened around age 13. I was sitting in the back seat of my dad's car with my family and he made me he made an angry comment and he saw me in the rearview mirror rolling my eyes. This sent him into a rage. He seethed. Uh, I know earlier that I told you that your skin was looking better, but I lied. It looks terrible. I can see all your acne. To this day, I have a horrible problem with skin picking. I have generalized anxiety disorder and I cope by picking my cuticles. In addition, if I have any type of blemish, I pick at it until the skin is flat so that I can feel that I can cover it with makeup. I've been in therapy for almost a year and I'm actively working on breaking this habit. Well, thank you for... And then uh, her darkest secret was uh, my freshman year of college, I dropped one of my courses and picked up a different one. When my dad found out, he freaked out because I was no longer under his control and was making a choice he didn't agree with. Later that day, I was venting to my mother about this online. Suddenly, the messages I was receiving turned to fuck you, bitch, etc., etc. Yes, my dad had looked over my mom's shoulder and hijacked the conversation to attack me. That night in my dorm room, I took a ton of Benadryl pills. To this day, I don't know how many uh, I just wanted to sleep. I fell asleep for 14 hours straight and I would imagine had trouble shitting for the next seven years. Those things dry you out so bad, or at least dry me out so badly. Um, what, if anything, do you wish for? Uh, 
the ability to forgive my father and to establish healthy boundaries with others in my life. Well, I can tell you, uh, oh, and she writes, I'm actively working on these goals via therapy. That's so, that's so awesome. That's so awesome. Hang in there. It can, and sometimes it's amazing when we set boundaries, sometimes people around us, that, that can be a catalyst for them to change too. This is from the What Has Helped You survey filled out by Mary Cat TG and about her, uh, her anxiety, depression, unresolved grief, and alcoholism. What helps her? She writes, my husband and best friends, my pets, and the honest input of young people I love. Thank you for sharing that. This is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey, and this is filled out by Poppet, and she writes about being on the autism spectrum. She writes, Feeling like a constant failure as a human being because I will never experience the world the way the world wants me to experience it. This is Shame and Secret Survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Can't Believe I Think These Things. He is bisexual, excuse me, in his 20s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Um, he ever been the victim of sexual abuse he writes some stuff happened but i don't know if it counts i was drugged in a bar and almost raped in the restroom a fellow bar patron happened to observe the man who was trying to remove my pants and the stranger defended me uh darkest thoughts i hate my daughter i feel guilty about it every moment of my life but every time i see her or she asks me a silly question i lose my patience i try to actively avoid her in my own home that's heartbreaking. Uh, darkest secrets. I've slept with over 100 uh, women uh, before I reached 25. I've had random, unprotected sexual encounters with both men and women and hate myself for enjoying all of it. Well, I hope you're in some type of recovery for all of this stuff. He's also been physically and emotionally abused, and he only filled out half the survey, but I f thought that stuff was, was uh, interesting enough to read, even though it wasn't, uh, there, there wasn't more stuff. This is a happy moment filled out by Jess, and she writes, When I was in college, I used to feel like I had to pinch myself sometimes. I would zoom out and notice myself surrounded by interesting people, laughing and joking, and at my top choice school, and just think, wow, I never thought I would have this. Because before that, in high school, I'd been anorexic, and my whole life had been like a funeral. The astonishing thing wasn't that I was in college. It's that I was able to devote my mind and heart to subjects other than food and actually take in what was going on around me rather than just eyeing the snacks or furtively calculating calories in my head. It would almost bring me to tears sometimes how good it felt to be present in the moment. Nowadays, I've been out of that bad stuff for long enough that I don't find it so astonishing, but once in a while, the magic will return and I'll just be overcome with gratitude. Beautiful. Beautiful. This is filled out by a woman who calls herself the worst. And um, so you know, she's brimming with confidence. She's bisexual in her 20s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Um, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Um, I think it might be one of those I think I might be one of those people with something deeply buried. 
I've been thinking a lot about this over the last year, and I think I was probably molested as a very young child. There was ample opportunity for this happening with my grandfather, who we know for sure sexualized my mother and her friends as children's as children, as well as raping my grandmother. This possibility has only really occurred to me over the last six months of going to therapy and listening to this show. Both uh, both have uh, helped me reframe my behaviors, reframe my behaviors as a kid as symptoms of problems in my upbringing rather than some innate wrongness in me. Specifically, it made me think about how when I was little, perhaps five or six, I repeatedly found myself acting out sexual behaviors with stuffed animal stuffed animal toys. While I know that that sort of exploration is very normal, I'm not sure it's normal that these toys were always bigger than me and I would always push their hands or paws or whatever into my underwear, pretending they were aggressively attempting to touch me there. I don't remember understanding what I was doing, but I do remember that I did it almost every time I was alone in that room and that I knew it was something to be very, very ashamed of. Whether or not anything happened with my grandfather, I'm still a little angry that my mom brought us to stay with him so many times as kids, knowing what she knew about him. She continued taking us to him, even though she once caught him showing pornography to my brother. I know she also probably very badly, she was also probably very badly manipulated by the man, but I think all our lives would have been better if she had made a clean break with him in adulthood. Um, she's also been emotionally abused. Um, uh, she writes, okay, this is another realization I wouldn't have had if I hadn't listened to your show. My therapist has been telling me since 2013 that it sounds like I was neglected as a kid and treated unfairly by my parents. I've been resisting very strongly this idea using the old roof over my head, food on the table sort of defenses you've talked about so many times. I know that I may have been a little disadvantaged emotionally because my life was always overshadowed by my brother's autism diagnosis, but it's not till recently I realized that shouldn't have taken quite as much of my childhood away as it did. I realize now that I don't really have parents. I've never had a feeling of stability with them or been able to go to them with my problems without getting yelled at or shamed. I just discovered, rediscovered my diary from when I was 11 years old, when my parents first got divorced, and it's full of me writing about my poor mummy and how hard I'm trying to make her feel better. At one point, I even write that apparently they have not been getting on well in the bedroom either and express a bit of resentment uh, if my parents' divorce is all about sex. I'm finally feeling the outrage that I would even be told about that when I was 11. Yeah. Any positive experience with your abusers? I don't know. For the first time, I don't really feel like I do love my parents. Um, darkest thoughts? I'm scared that my relationship is doomed because I'm so desperate for attention. I probably wouldn't be able to stop myself cheating. I think about this so often that I'm starting to wonder if I'm just meant to be polyamorous. But then desperation doesn't sound like a particularly healthy reason to look into any lifestyle. It's probably insulting to polyamory and other people in open relationships that I'm even considering myself like them. <clears throat> Darkest Secrets. This is the main reason I came here today. I need something like a confessional. I think what I did the night before last was one of the worst things I've ever done. <clears throat> Excuse me. My partner and I have been with our own families over Christmas, and it didn't take me long on my own to start feeling weird and lonely 
and looking for pornography. Then I started looking at adult chat rooms where I could look at people's webcams, which I've done a couple of times before, but I rarely say anything, and if I do, it's pretty innocuous stuff. But for some reason, this time, I descended rapidly, first just flirting and then actually talking a couple of guys off. Uh, I assume that means talking to them while they're jerking off. Even in this incredibly short amount of time, I can feel something like addiction happening. All these chemicals firing off inside me the more of my own boundaries I break and the more these random guys on the internet imply that I'm something special because I'm articulate or funny. This kind of went nuclear for me. I stumbled on this really attractive guy. I don't really understand why he was even on there. He was beyond witty and cute and eloquent and just set me on fire a little bit. And so the next night, it was pretty easy for him to convince me to do what I swore I'd never do, which was to go on a webcam and take my clothes off. I am so fucking angry at myself. I don't know how I can express it. I've broken my partner's trust. I've put myself in danger, and I've just let myself feel so used. I hate letting myself be vulnerable to charismatic and manip- manipulative people. It's not like I need needed the guy to want to date me or anything. I'm just resentful that I let myself be an object, that I allowed myself to believe that it made any difference who was on the screen helping this guy get his rocks off. I feel more manipulated by my own ego than anything else. It's disgusting. What's worse is that because I let myself have a really fun non-sexual interaction with this guy, uh, two, my body has been having painful crush-like feelings for a couple of days, and that just makes me feel even worse about betraying my boyfriend and about my inadequacy and weakness. I spent several hours last night cutting myself because I feel like such a low form of life. Why can't I just feel satisfied with the love and stability my boyfriend gives me? What amount of affection will be enough for me to feel like I deserve to live? I don't think it can ever come from somebody else. I think it's got to come from inside you. And I know that sounds like a cliche, but it's the to- it's the total truth. And um, you might need to go to a support group. It might be a sex or a, or a love addiction, but um, it's, yeah, I I don't believe it has anything to do with the person you're in the relationship with and I'm sure it was triggered by being around your family because your family sounds like a fucking piece of work I mean your mom abandoned you just leaving you alone with your grandfather who has a track record as a fucking pedophile that's not a small thing uh, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you it changes all the time but it's all about being desired and I imagine now it's going to be about being desired on webcam because it's just how my garbage brain works. What if anything you wish for? Again, instant reaction is I want everyone to love me and to want to be around me even though that would be pretty impractical in reality. The real desire under that is to be able to feel fulfilled and like who I am is enough. Well, I think you answered your own question. Now it's just a matter of getting out there and working with a therapist or a support group or finding some way to to get that to to happen um this is but we're sending you some love sending you some hugs um and by the way i'm feeling a bit numb so if i if it seems like i'm um um one of the side effects 
possibly of this med or it's just my depression. I don't know, but I feel like I've been feeling pretty robotic lately. Like, like I could watch the saddest thing on the news and not feel anything. Intellectually, I can go, oh, that's really sad. That's terrible. Um, but I don't just... So I, if I seem a little distanced from these, I apologize. Intellectually, I'm very moved by them, but but I'm dead inside. So at least temporarily dead inside. I know I'm not dead inside all the time. Um, and as much as I make fun of myself, I do love myself. Ugh. 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 Not going to rewind it. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by a woman who calls herself unhappily human. She writes, I got a call from my therapist at the time in the middle of the night um, and I let it go to voicemail because I figured it was an accidental call. When I did listen to the voicemail, it was kind of hard to hear, but she said she'd hoped I would pick up because she needed help with something. Since we had a weird relationship, I didn't think too much of it. But when I texted her about the call, she apologized and came out and said that she overdosed on her medication and thought I could tell her how to make herself throw up since I was bulimic, but went to the hospital and got her stomach pumped instead. Even after this episode, which should have been the icing on the cake for me to stop seeing her, along with all the other fucked up things she did, I continued going for a few months more until I had to take a leave from school since I saw her free at the counseling center there. Sometimes there's a reason therapy is free. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Let's see. This is... This is just an excerpt from a shame and secret survey filled out by Evie May. In her darkest secret, she writes, I blame my mother for the fact that I'm bulimic. I love her to pieces, but I'm so fucking angry and sad sometimes. I've struggled with bulimia for the past seven or eight years, and it's exhausting physically and emotionally. She was anorexic when I was growing up, and even though she has mostly recovered, now I have always had a sense... Recovered now, I have always had a sense of shame about my body, my wants and needs and appetite. She thinks I've been recovered for the past four years, but it's a lie. I am a long way from recovery. I think she knows this deep down, but is too afraid to broach the subject with me. I love you, mom. You're my best friend, but fuck you for making my relationship with food and my body such an awful mess. Have you shared these things with others? I have spoken about my bulimia to a couple of close friends, but I have never mentioned the self-harming behaviors or the fact that I sometimes get a sexual thrill out of vomiting until my throat bleeds. I like seeing the blood. That's not nice, is it? I don't think I'll always be this way. I think I can change. You can definitely change. You can definitely change. I'm sending you some love. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by Mikey. And he writes, When I was in my early 20s living with my parents, I came home from working my overnight job. My grandparents were visiting for the weekend, so I talked with them for a few minutes before heading downstairs to take a nap. I decided to jerk off before falling asleep, so I started jerking away. From upstairs, I heard a horrible scream from my mother. Michael, Michael, call 911. I froze because I was trying to figure out if I was hearing this correctly. Then I heard her rapidly running to my room, and she repeated the instruction to call 911. My grandmother fell outside and broke her hip. 
this weird moment of being startled out of masturbation by horrifying screams actually caused some mild PTSD and gave me heart palpitations for a few weeks. Zippity-doo-dah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and this is, this is our last shame and secret survey. And this is filled out by a woman who calls herself the Dud Avocado. And we've got two left, this one and then a happy moments survey. And she is in her 20s, raised in a pretty dis- straight, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Um, although uh, uh, about her being straight, she writes, I always knew I was gay, but was so ashamed of it. I never pursued a serious relationship with a woman. The only sexual experiences I've had with women ended up with them either denying they had been with me or said that I didn't fuck like a lesbian. Um, as I said, she's in her 20s, um, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, uh, was the victim of sexual abuse, and uh, never reported it. Now, let's see if I can condense what happened. Um She was abused uh, for three years by an older partner when she was between 15 and 18. And um, and then she was raped in a parking lot shortly after. Um, shortly before her 18th birthday. And then had a terrible experience in the court system. Uh, I'm, tr- I'm trying to... It's, it's a bit of a long one. And I'm trying to... Um, condense it without leaving anything important but a terrible terrible uh experience uh having to testify and um she's been emotionally abused and physically abused darkest thoughts um let's read this about the emotional abuse and the sexual abuse. My three, the emotional abuse by the guy who sexually abused her. My three-year-long sexually abusive relationship was also emotionally and physically abusive. I was hit in the face every day, tied up and gagged, and left in a closet for hours at a time. I would be pushed down the stairs, uh, tied up out in the wilderness while we were hiking, and dragged through poison oak. Emotionally, my relationships with men were always shaming. If my sexual and physical abuse came up, I was told that I was disgusting and a classic small-town girl to allow such stupid things to happen to me. Often a boyfriend would tell me that he could no longer stand to touch me or look at me. Any positive experiences with your abusers? When you spend so much time with a person, you pick up habits. I learned how to cook from him, albeit poorly. In my 20s, when I started to cook more on my own, I became the best cook I could to show that motherfucking, cock-sucking, son-of-a-bitch bastard that I could, in fact, not only stir the goddamn pasta, but flambe the fuck out of anything I wanted to and feed 18 hungry, 18 hungry people a four-course meal with the food still steaming. Suck my dick, you foul fuck. He also taught me how to drive. Now I'm remembering this uh, this one and why I, uh, why I wanted to read it. 
darkest thoughts, taking my buck knife, thanks for the present dad, too little too late, but it's still a cool birthday gift, and slicing a man from scalp to asshole, alive, obviously, and peeling his skin back across his face and chest and down his arms and legs. This would be a man who has hurt and abused someone at some time in his life. I would then cut his hands and feet off with a saw the way you cut the hooves off a deer when you skin it. I would then cover his skinless, muscle-exposed body with gasoline, light a cigarette, Marlboro Red, and set the motherfucking dipshit, dipshit on fire, and then have a fucking beer. I've been sober for two years, but you know what? I think I could go for a frosty dead guy ale as a special little something. Darkest Secrets my abuser brain washed me into thinking that my father and my uncles had had sex with me when I was a child. He said they had all abused me well into my late adolescence. My abuser made me role play daddy baby scenarios and film us having sex. He would then play the tapes to me over and over again while beating me, saying that I deserved it and was filthy and lucky that anyone would touch me at all. So I should be thankful for what he was doing to me. I had severe night terrors and anxiety because of this. One night when I was 16, I became so scared. Hold on one second. I became so scared I went into my parents' bedroom. My mom was away visiting her sick mother, so it was just my dad. I was so horrified to reach out for help, but I was panicked and asked to sleep in bed with him. He said, all right, and fell back asleep. In his sleep, he rolled over and, thinking I was my mother, spooned me and put his hand on my breast and the other on the inside of my thigh. We stayed like that for what seemed like hours. I was in shock and could not move. He eventually rolled away, still asleep. I have never forgotten that and still, ten years later, will not allow my father to touch me. He doesn't know why. Sexual fantasies most powerful to you. There's one of two ways to swing this. The first, which is an emotional fantasy, is to have perfect, taut, sweaty, porn star sex with a man and enjoy it. Get me reversed cowgirl style, bouncing up and down on a hard cock. Put some fucking hot ass shoes on me. Like, okay, I am so gay, uh, laced up Doc Martens, and yank on my hair until I spray inhuman amounts of cum all over his balls. Why is this a fantasy? Because I can't imagine actually enjoying a second of sex with a man. I've never orgasmed from it. Hell, I've never actually orgasmed at all. Not once. My real sexual fantasy is to have raunchy, passionate sex with an older woman, someone who seems seriously, heinously uptight, who has a rocking body and lets me sit on her face for something like 36 hours straight. Let's throw in some pizza too. God, I love pizza. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? To my mom and dad, this gun I am holding to my temple is to wipe out the incredible mess of a life I live because you were too scared, confused, and busy to stand up to me. Have you ever heard of grounding someone? Whatever angst I may have felt towards you could never equal the amount of sorrow I feel being left to my own devices. To my own abusers, the next time you spit on somebody's asshole, it's not going to be mine. It's going to be your own, so you can sit on your thumb and fucking twirl, you sons of bitches. Fuck you. What, if anything, do you wish for? To be able to communicate with other survivors. Not victims, we are survivors. To help rehabilitate people with trauma, to treat themselves and others with love and patience, and to live with intent and purpose. I also wish I could have a bowl of fried ice cream and bananas right now. Have you shared these things with others? 
I've shared my stories with some friends and some with partners. I feel that with partners, it is a point of contention between us and the relationship usually ends shortly afterwards. Friends usually don't know the whole story, only bits and pieces. They feel alienated by my pain and I feel angry that they know my vulnerability without being able to speak it. How do you feel after writing these things down? Like I need to go back and expand, explain, apologize, erase, throw up my hands and say, I'm just kidding. I feel like none of what I have said validates my sadness, explains my fear, or legitimizes my deep loneliness. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences, please help me make the circle of violence stop here. Um, and then any comments to make the podcast better? Yes. Get your sorry ass over to my house and give me a big fucking hug. Jesus, I was fine until now. Asking for a hug. Funny how that's what makes me cry. I just don't feel like I deserve one. Well, I'm sending you one. I'm sending you a big hug. And it sounds like you're in so much pain. And we hear it. We hear it. And we know that you're not making it up. And you don't need to say anything other than what you said in this thing. I, th I think we got a pretty clear picture that a lot of fucking really painful shit has happened to you. But you can. You can and will heal if you make it your, your most important priority. And um, we're definitely sending you some love. And I was really touched and humored by your uh, your survey so well done sweet lady and please do not skin me from scalp to asshole but if you do carve away some of my fat I just want to look ripped and finally we have a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself anxiety monologues and she writes, at my church, the young adult group has monthly gatherings where we explore various difficult themes in life and individuals are encouraged to share. They announced that the following month would be about control. I had been working on vulnerability and every fiber of my being screamed that I needed to talk about my struggles with anxiety and my faith. I expressed my interest to the event leader and the following month he reached out to see, to me to see if I was still interested. I declined and made excuses. The pastor, who also struggles with anxiety, heard about this and called me to encourage me to change my mind. I begrudgingly conceded. The following night, I sat in front of 30 to 40 of my peers, most of whom were merely acquaintances, and I spilled my guts. I shared about years of frantically trying to control everything, the crushing fear that ruled over my life, and when it all came crashing down on me. I spoke of seeing seeking healing in all areas of my life, starting with my emotions and therapy, and how much growth and joy can exist if you stop gripping life with white knuckles and let go. As I talked, I was surprised to see everyone very perceptive, accepting, nodding, and some individuals even crying. Afterward, many people came up to me commending my bravery, thanked me for being so open, and shared their struggles too. One girl broke down and told me her entire story. We talked for two hours, and I was able to impart some of the wisdom and skills I have learned in therapy. I encouraged her to seek help, which she later did, and we now share our struggles and journeys regularly. 
That night, I felt so empowered and proud. I stepped out of the shadows and was vulnerable, and not only did those people accept me, they welcomed me with love. Now, whenever I feel like my anxiety has the upper hand or begin to believe the negative thoughts, I think back to that night when I prove that I am strong and worthy, and I remind myself that people will love you if you let them. What a beautiful, beautiful, happy moment to end on. And I hope uh, I hope you guys are reminded that there's help if you can get out of your comfort zone and ask for it. Most important phrase I ever said in my life is, please help me. I don't know how to do this. And uh, my life changed from that day on. And um, it's humbling to ask for help. It's, But humility is a good thing. I don't know why we're so afraid of it. I don't know. I don't look good in humility. I'm a winter. I want that joke back. I want to I want to press stop. I want to rewind. I want to go back. But anyway, um I hope after listening to this episode you're reminded that you're not alone and um we're all going through shit. We're all going through shit and that's just a part of life and uh Thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.